Hi, everybody, and welcome to El Camino People, the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Camino Santiago, but about many of the different Caminos that we have right now, you know, in Europe, in Spain, and in Portugal, because at the end, we always talk about the Camino Frances, the Camino del Norte, but there's so many others that are out there that I think, you know, they're a great option for people that are looking for different things to do, different places to walk. And right now that we felt during the summer, you know, the, the Camino Frances being so packed at the end, or maybe the Portuguese, why not looking for a Camino? that is you know let's walk or has different things to offer and for that we have our friend nick that he's been doing many caminos for many years hi nick how are you doing i'm doing very well thank you for having me and thank you for being out today with us i'm like you're one of the ones that make your life dream and moving to not spain to portugal and and live the camino on every day yeah it's um you know actually the time that i decided to move to portugal i'd never walked the camino but then it happened shortly afterwards and uh, suddenly it turns out it's very convenient if you want to walk a lot of caminos if you live in portugal it is indeed so i always start everyone you know to ask how did you find out of the camino what was the first time that the camino came into your life i don't remember specifically how i found out about it but it was it was quite a long time ago it was probably 10 years before I actually walked it for the first time. And I just heard about it, you know, my wife and I, we travel a lot um, and, you know, we traveled a lot in Europe. And so we, we just heard about it somewhere. And, you know, it was, it seemed quite appealing to us. And because basically the way that we thought about it was we thought, okay, it seems to be hiking, which we like. And mm -hmm. it seems to be cultural and historical tourism, which we also like. So this seems like something that would be really good for us. Uh, obviously, the, the Camino is a lot more than that, but that was kind of the initial perception that we had. And I think at a certain point, we read this blog, which has become quite well known among, uh, among pilgrims. And it's a blog post. And the title is basically something like 10 Reasons the Camino Sucks. Oh, yeah, I, I have read that one, too. And so we read it and then we thought, oh, wow, maybe this thing isn't for us after all. You know, we thought this sounded great and now we've read this and, and maybe it's, it's not for us after all. But in the end, we just forgot about that and decided to, to go and do it. And then once we did that, we realized that the, the guy who wrote the blog, he really missed the point of, of the Camino and didn't really understand it and didn't really get it. And uh, it turns out that it doesn't suck and it's actually a wonderful <laughs> thing. And we're really happy that we discovered it. And which one was your first Camino? Were you the typical French or did you walk something different? Yeah, typical French. Um, I mean, we at the time, we didn't really know that there were others. And I think that's a lot of people's experience. And so, yeah, we just we just thought, okay, this is the Camino. It's the one Camino. It starts in mm -hmm. Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port. So that's where we go. And that's where we start walking. And then once we started walking, we sort of started to hear about these other routes. And it was funny because people would say to us, oh, you live in Portugal. Have you done the Portuguese? And we're, and we're like, oh, there's a Portuguese? There a Portuguese? We, we didn't even, <laughs> even know that. Um, so yeah, very typical to begin with. But then soon it, it was one of these things where, you know, we suddenly discovered that there were other routes. And a lot of people who walk the Frances are, then will come back and rewalk the Frances sometimes many, many times. Mm -hmm. But once we realized there were other routes, what we wanted to do was to discover different routes rather than to go and, and walk the same route again. I think there's two kinds of pilgrims, no? the one that get hooked with the Camino Frances and they love it so much. And I agree that it's also true that every time that you walk the Frances is a different Camino because it's different people, you go to different albergues, it's different time of the year, you are a different person. But And then you have the other kind of pilgrims, I think more like you and me, you know, that every time we walk, we try to discover a new Camino, different way, new people, new places. So, but both are great options. But in your case, I'm always, you know, what happened when you finish your first Camino? Was that, you know, I'm like, you work in the tourism, you write, you have also podcasts. How was the end of your first Camino? You know, the first Camino was tough. Uh, you know, we'd done a lot of hiking, a lot of mountainous hiking and things like that before. So we thought, okay, this is going to be a, a, you know, a breeze. And it was difficult. Um, just the rhythm of, of every day, day after day. Um, my wife uh, had plantar fasciitis, which she got on the first day, really. And that caused her a lot of pain. And mm -hmm. so when we got to the end, I mean, it's, I think it's similar with a lot of people. There was relief to be finished. There was sadness that, that we were finished and we had nowhere to walk anymore. Um, the cathedral was covered in scaffolding at the time. This is, you know, about six years ago. 
Um, so probably at the same time, I think I walked first Camino yeah, so six years ago, something like that. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a, a range of different emotions, but I think we realized that it was something that we really liked and we'd like to keep doing it if, if we could. Was your Camino ending over there or did you walk to Musia and Fisterra? Was it just Santiago and then? It, we, we, it was just Santiago. We had the idea of walking to the coast, but it took us longer than we had thought to get to Santiago. Mm -hmm. And then we were just done. Physically, we were empty uh, when we arrived in Santiago. So, And then, you know, some people, will, if, if they're in that situation, will take maybe a, a bus day trip to Fisterra. Um, but we decided, no, we're going to come back and, and walk this again some other time and, and walk to it then. So that's what we did. Yeah, and that's a great option, like living in Portugal and you know that you have the option to do it. What I always say, you know, if you are from Australia, the States, and you don't know when you're going to come back, take a bus trip. Just, you know, enjoy Fisterra, <laughs> Mushia, if you don't have the time. But if you can walk in the Camino, I think it's walking the Camino off because those days is when you start thinking and, and getting back to the all days of the know so many people in the last 100k mm -hmm. so then you came back home you go back to lisbon and when the you feel the the call for the camino again uh came quite quickly i mean we walked it in spring of 2017 the first one and then yeah spring of 2018 so and then we basically started this tradition of walking at least one per year uh, and so the one we chose for the second camino was the primitivo um, mm -hmm. because we didn't have as much time as we'd had the previous year. And so just to fit this into a two-week Camino was was quite a good choice. And I mean, when we'd walked the, the Frances and then we started to learn about other Caminos, the ones that people were really talking about were the Primitivo, the Norte, and the Portugues. Um, and so the Primitivo the, the just didn't what no, we wanted to do. And yeah. so we thought those were the big four. I guess they are. The, uh, they They're are still, I guess, probably. Um, and the, the Primitivo we really, really liked. And I think having, I, just, I felt with the Primitivo, I mean, the thing that happened when we started the Frances was at the beginning we thought, okay, maybe if we walk off stage, that will be better because we mm -hmm. had experience with that with hiking. And we said, okay, we can avoid people by walking off yeah. stage. And then we realized that a pilgrimage is different and it's sharing that experience with other people is a big part of it. Um, but we found it a little bit difficult in the beginning to find our kind of social uh, niche. We found that most people were either younger or older than we were. And we were kind of in that late 30s age <laughs> and nobody else really seemed to be around that age. It was either people in their early 20s or mid 20s or retired people. Um, and so we sort of didn't know where we, where we fit into that. But then the next year when we walked the Primitivo, I just found that that was a really great um, combination of the the number of people and the type of people and because there aren't that many albergues you're all kind of mm -hmm. set into the same stages and so that was really the the first time we kind of developed a, a, a group where we would walk the same stages and you know check up on each other throughout the day or at the end of the day and so i really liked the social aspect of the primitivo i think i mean that was in 2018 i think now people are saying you know maybe there's too many people on the primitivo i don't know um, but we found that was a really good balance between the, mm -hmm. the crazy numbers of the Frances and the empty, you know, other Caminos that, that people haven't even heard of. What about the, the, the hardest? You know, a lot of people, when they talk Primitivo, they start thinking hospitales. They are thinking, you know, a lot of, you know, real, more backpacking, you know, more style, more trail style, no more so much, you know, just, just a path. Is really that hard? Do you think it's really a, that hard or can anyone really afford to do the Primitivo, you know, if they measure themselves? I mean, it's definitely harder than the Frances. I mean, I my memory is that it wasn't that hard. Yes, there are ups and downs, but also the surface is usually good. You're not walking on roads a lot, and that can mm -hmm. make a big difference. You know, there's a lot of forest walking yeah. and, and things like that. So we took the Hospitalis, um, and yeah, I mean, you have to. There, there's a climb there. I mean, my memory is that it wasn't that bad. But just this past summer, I was walking the Salvador. And people and the Salvador is kind of known as maybe the most difficult. And you know, there were some difficult parts. There were some difficult parts there for sure. And then people were talking, people pilgrims who we met who were on the Salvador who were considering the Primitivo said, Oh, we've looked at the elevation and the Primitivo looks really hard. And I thought, oh, I don't remember it being as hard as this, but maybe that's just a, in time you kind of forget about the difficult yeah. parts, maybe. But it, you know, it, it's definitely not flat. So you yeah. do have to have a certain degree of fitness, I would say. And then you finished the Primitivo. What was your next Camino? Next one was the Camino de Madrid. 
um, which was an unusual choice maybe for a third Camino, but it was again oh, yeah. one of these situations where we had maybe a two-week block to walk, and we'd heard some really great things about the, the Madrid, and it's, it's a bit of an unusual Camino because it's kind of a modern creation um, mm -hmm. in a way, because Madrid itself is not a, a, a medieval city, is it? Um, and so I think it was created just because obviously it, it starts from the most popular city in Spain, so it's, it's a good option. Also, you know, um, in Spain we are so center, and like everything starts right. in Madrid, we have the kilometers here in Madrid, so it makes sense that there's a, a road or a path that there used to be something there. And what we'd been told and, and what was true about the Comunidad de Madrid, and one thing that makes it a really great Camino is that it, it's not very popular at all, but there's an albergue network uh, that's been set up which is surprising for a Camino that's not that popular. So it's, it's one of these things where if you want a little bit of solitude, but yet you, mm -hmm. you want the accommodation to be, to be reasonably priced and to be available, then it's a really terrific option. And the other thing I really liked about the, the Madrid was that, you know, you walk about 320, 30 kilometers, maybe off the top of my head. It's actually, that's to Sahagún from Madrid. And so it's almost the exact same distance as the Primitivo from Oviedo to Santiago. And, you know, the Primitivo, you know, it's beautiful, it's great, everybody loves it, and you're in the forest, but that landscape of Asturias and Galicia is quite similar as you mm -hmm. walk. I didn't find there was a lot of variation, which is okay because it's really pretty to be in the forests and, yeah. and it's nice and everything. And the Madrid I found for a similar distance, maybe because you're walking more north rather than west, mm -hmm. there's quite a lot of variation in, in landscape and things like that. So you begin, you know, coming up to this mountain range uh, and then you climb this pass before you go into Segovia. Then after Segovia, it's quite different. You're in a lot of pine forests and things like that. And then the last few days you get onto the Meseta. So that's different again. And so I found just for 12, 13 days, things changed quite a lot. And I really liked that. It's amazing. What I heard so far is like, as you were saying, you know, it's one of those caminos that's kind of like the Via de la Plata. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you have to follow the stages. There's not many albergues. But I was talking with someone yesterday and they told me that there's a, one of the albergues that is closed. So it breaks the stages right now. So he's kind of like a stack. So that's what I'm like. If anyone is thinking about doing the Camino Madrid, you need to make a call to every albergue to make sure that mm -hmm. it's there. Because if you don't have that albergue, you are, you're screwed. I'm like, that's, that's what it is. And did you find any pilgrims at all when you were doing the Camino de Madrid? Uh, we did it in April of 2019, so we were a bit, you know, before the season, and we saw mm -hmm. five others maybe, and oh. all of them except one we only saw once. And then there was actually one guy who we were doing more or less the same stages with, so we saw him him quite a bit. And the albergues are really small; some of them have just maybe six beds, eight beds, things like that. Um, but you know, this was really the first Camino that we did, and, and most of the ones we've done since then have actually been like this but the first one where there really weren't many pilgrims at all. And we had thought that the spirit of the Camino came from that interaction with other pilgrims. And then, so what do you do when you're on a Camino when there really aren't any other pilgrims? And we found that the interaction with local people took the place of that. And, you know, mm -hmm. when you're on something like the Frances, you know, maybe the local people there are a little bit jaded. They, they see pilgrims in their thousands day after day after day. <laughs> and on the Madrid, it's different. And there were just these little moments with people. People would stop you to wish you Buen Camino in the street. Or, you know, there are some people who are known. There's a, In one village, there's a, a woman at a, a pastry shop, and she gives you a free pastry if you're a pilgrim, and you have a nice little conversation with her. And, and just little moments like that were really nice on the Madrid. And so it gave us a different perspective on yeah on the spirit of the Camino and, and how you could enjoy it you know even if you don't meet any other pilgrims so I think you know when you start doing Caminos you're like you know sometimes you look for the for the pilgrim community but sometimes mm -hmm. as you grow I'm like we look for all smaller Caminos less crowded and as you say you know I walk the the, the the Camino from Lourdes to Pamplona and I couldn't find my like I think we saw one pilgrim but the connection wow. that you make with people over there I'm like I want to speak really good French you know the way they try to connect to the locals the experience is so different that at the end you know it's just depends what you're looking for and which state of a pilgrim you are if you're a first-time pilgrim I think it's easier Frances but once you start growing these Caminos offer so much and it is an incredible experience definitely so you finished the Camino de Madrid. What was next year? So we are in 2020 now. So now we're in 2020. And so the pandemic hit. Um, and 
I don't remember. I think we had plans for a spring commune. Now I've forgotten, but then the pandemic hit and that changed everything. Um, so in Portugal, we went into, into lockdown and then sort of in the summer and in the late summer, we came out of that and the restrictions started to get lifted and we hadn't done anything, you know, for months, so same as everybody else. And, you know, and we travel a lot, not just on the Camino, but, but elsewhere. And it was funny because people would say to me, oh, you know, you travel a lot. You must be getting really frustrated with, with these lockdowns and everything. And I, I kind of thought, well, you know, travel is a luxury, but, uh, you know, we're, we're glad nothing bad has happened to us health-wise, you know, so far. Um, but, you know, after being kind of cooped up at home for a few months, um, you're looking for something. And, and the funny thing was, we once Portugal began to open up, we thought, let's try and find some hike or something we can do here in Portugal. And then we just said, well, why don't we just walk the Camino? Why, you know, why not? Um, and so we walked the Portuguese from Lisbon from our own house. And at the time, that was really the only Camino that we could do um, because we thought, okay, because everybody was so terrified about the virus at mm -hmm. this time. This was in September now of 2020. And we thought, okay, we're, if we walk from our own house, if something happens to us, we can get home quickly. Um, if we, you know, we're in a country where we have health insurance and, and this kind of stuff. So, you know, we should be okay that way. And basically, yeah, if, if things go wrong, we're close yeah, to home and it shouldn't be too yeah. bad. And, you know, we had talked before because obviously most people who walk the Portuguese start from Porto and, mm -hmm. you know, you can start from Lisbon, but there's a bit of mixed reaction, let's say, or maybe most pilgrims who walk from Lisbon think that's not really a great stretch Lisbon to Porto. So, Previously, we kind of debated, do we want to walk this, this whole thing or just the, the best part from Porto onwards? Mm -hmm. But the, the pandemic gave us this opportunity. We had nothing else to do. And we said, hey, let's walk from our own house. And that was actually a really fun aspect of it, just to walk out your door and, and start walking, because that's obviously the, the way it would have been done in, in medieval times. So how was it? Because you were saying, you know, something that is pretty true. When we talk about the Camino Portuguese, most people, they think, you know, it starts in Porto. They don't even think there's a Camino from Lisbon. So they always think, you know, there's just the, the inland route, the coastal and the in-between, and that's it. But there is a Camino from Lisbon. What was your experience? And I guess also probably during this time of the COVID was a, not a real experience, but how was the Camino really from Lisbon to Porto? Yeah, at the time, we really enjoyed it quite a lot. I mean, we were just so happy to be doing something, oh, to be on the Camino. <laughs> and so we had a really good attitude in that way. And especially, you know, the first few days out of Lisbon are, are not the best. But we were like, oh, this is so great. We're on the Camino. It's, you know, it's amazing. Um, a lot of the albergues or all of the municipal albergues were closed. And so that did cause, you know, some difficulty. We had to change our route sometimes or go a little bit off the Camino or mix up the stages a little bit. Um, so we enjoyed it at the time looking back on it. Yeah. That stretch is, is not the best. There's just, there's a lot of road walking mm -hmm. and, you know, within Portugal, you know, a lot of people sort of divide Portugal north to south, let's say, but if you, if you drew a north south line and, and divided Portugal east to west, 90% of people uh, of Portuguese population is in the Western half of the country. And so, and especially basically between Lisbon and Porto, you just have a lot of towns and a lot of modern towns that maybe aren't that interesting. And so there's mm -hmm. a lot of kind of suburban walking on roads. Um, and so that part is not that interesting. I mean, there are some towns like Santarém and Toma and Quimbo, which are really great. And there are also some really nice stretches of the Camino um, with vineyards and olive trees. Because we walked in September, the figs were in, in season That's and there's a lot of wild fig trees. And that was amazing because the you could just pick them off the trees and they were right on the on the path and we would see you know under each tree dozens of figs that were smashed on the on the ground you know it was clear that they mm -hmm. were wild trees and no one was was harvesting yeah. them so we could just pick figs and that and that was really great um, so we really did enjoy it quite a lot but then looking back on it we think yeah maybe that's not the the best part uh, of the communities in Portugal but it, it depends on your attitude and um, and other things well, I guess. So you yeah. finished in Porto that year or? No, we kept going to, to Santiago. So we walked the central the whole uh, thing. from Porto. And you do notice a big difference. Um, I mean, the, the, the signage is, is fine and the accommodation is mostly fine. Although again, the albergues were, were mostly closed before Porto, uh, but you do notice a big difference. Suddenly there are a lot more pilgrims and just a mm -hmm. lot more, um, a lot more little 
little things that make you realize that you're on a pilgrimage. You know, it's not just seeing arrows, but there are little things you see shells and you know, I don't know, you just see little markers of the Camino and, and we didn't really see that before Porto. And then, yeah, we started to see a lot more pilgrims, even at this time, you know, September of 2020, there, there were a reasonable number, like between Lisbon and Porto, we only saw, uh, let's say 15, uh, in about 20 days. And then from Porto wow. onwards, suddenly we, we saw a lot more. Um, did you do the inland or the coastal? We did the inland, so the central, but it was quite interesting that some people who had come from the UK, there was some rule in place at the time. I think if they went to Spain, they would have to isolate when they came home. Oh yeah. If they went to Portugal, they didn't have to isolate when they came home. And so people wanted to do a Camino, but they wanted to basically avoid Spain. And what some people started doing was they would start from Porto and walk the coastal and as far as they get the and then central. loop back around going backwards on the central. Ah. And because you have the arrows, the blue arrows, to Fatima. Fatima, you can actually do that. And when we stayed at Casa da Fernanda, which is a kind of famous albergue on, on the central, yeah. most of the people were doing that and were walking backwards. Never thought about the Portuguese that way. I'm like, I, I, you know, I've been thinking about the, you know, the Bastanés or the Frances backwards mm -hmm. here in Navarra, but never thought about doing the Portuguese, you know, as a, as a loop. That will be not a bad idea. Pretty yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah, it was working for them. I mean, they could have also just st started from Lisbon, for example, and done a longer Camino that way, but they wanted mm -hmm. to start from Porto and do this loop. And that, yeah, it was a little popular thing just for that month, maybe. I don't know if people are, are we still stay for. <laughs> and then this is over. You finished the Portuguese. What was 2021? Well, 2021, we had an idea. We wanted to do a long Camino from the, from the south. So we were looking at the, the Masarabe or the Via de la Plata. Mm -hmm. Or, or both combined. And again, though, we, we had just come out of the winter lockdown and that was the worst part of the, of the pandemic in Portugal. So in January of yeah. 2021, Portugal had the highest uh, rate of cases per head of population mm -hmm. in the whole world for a period of a couple of weeks. And because Portugal had done pretty well on the first wave mm -hmm. and then was really hit very hard on, on the second wave. And so, around April, we wanted to start this Camino and the Portugal-Spain border was closed. And so we thought, okay, well, we can't, we can't actually really do this, but we really want to. Um, and we basically looked at this map, the Wise Pilgrim map of the Camino routes. And we saw this one starting at the very south of Portugal, um, which was marked on the map as the, as the Camino do Este, so the Eastern Camino. And that's kind of an old Camino, which has now been superseded. And we didn't know any of this at the time, but basically we saw this route and we thought, okay, we can do this. We can start mm -hmm. in Tavira, which is on the Algarve coast of Portugal and, and walk all the way up. And maybe by the time we get to Spain that way, the border will be well, open. And so we kind of chose this Camino knowing absolutely nothing about it. And it turns out it has a different name now. It's called the Camino Nascent, um, which sort of, again, can be translated as the Eastern Camino or in, in Spanish, it's the Camino de la Naciente. And it's basically a new Camino or it's, it, the government has kind of taken over, the local government uh, of the Alentejo, which is the main region of this Camino, has taken it over and they relaunched it in 2018 and part of it in 2018 and part of it in 2019. And so this is part of three Caminos that they're developing in the south of Portugal. And we didn't know any of this, um, but we went to Tavira and they've done a really good job firstly at, at the signing of it. So the mm -hmm. arrows are there. Uh, because they have government funding, you know, they can they can do certain things like that. And so one of their priorities was to create a, a proper Camino in terms of, you know, a lot of times they had to get uh, permission from property owners to be able to take the Camino off the road and go through yeah, maybe some private property land. and things like that. So they did that and then they signed it uh, with arrows. So we went there knowing absolutely nothing. And almost nobody has heard of this route or almost nobody has ever done it, um, but we absolutely loved it. And so it basically runs parallel to the Via de la Plata, but on the Portuguese side. Um, and so it starts in the Algarve and, and heads north. And it, it's quite fascinating. Historically, this part of Portugal, the southern part of Portugal was conquered, reconquered from the Muslims uh, by the Portuguese, but through the order of Santiago, the military order. Okay. And so that kind of cult of Santiago or the, the veneration of Santiago has spread a little bit from, you know, Galicia, northern Portugal to mm -hmm. the south in that way. So in Tavira, where you start, there's a church of Santiago. That's the beginning of the, of the Camino. Um, 
And so that's the kind of historical connection that this route has with the Camino, even though it's a, a new route sort of being developed just in the last few years. And it was so amazing because it's in the eastern part of Portugal. And as I mentioned before, this is a really depopulated part of Portugal. So it's very rural. There's almost no road walking. True. Yet there's a lot of historic towns. And so it, because it's kind of this frontier between historically between Portugal and Spain, that's kind of where it is. And so you have a lot of these old towns and a lot of them have castles, which is to prevent against um, Spanish invasion in, you know, in centuries past. And so you're basically walking uh, basically between the, these lines of castles, uh, which I thought was fascinating because when you're on foot, you kind of get a, a, a sense of what it was like, you know, in the old days, no? In the old days, hundreds of years ago. And you can kind of see that these castles were set to be, you know, more or less one day's walk from each other, uh, which would allow people to to get to a castle, you know, uh, if they needed to, to, um, you know, be safe from, from invasion. And so we just loved this community. And we felt like we didn't meet anybody, the entire community, mm -hmm. we didn't see any pilgrims. Um, and we could see in some of the logbooks, like some of the albergues, which had started in 2018, and this was now 2021, they'd had 40 people in, in the three years, you know, three years. Uh, wow. And so almost nobody does this Camino. And so for us, it was just such a huge adventure and, and discovery. And I think that that was really my favorite one, just because it was so unexpected. And yet the combination of the, the scenery and the, the rural aspect of the walking, the historic towns and the feeling of, of adventure, it was springtime and there were wildflowers everywhere and sometimes you could almost not even see the path because the the wildflowers were covering it and it was just fantastic right? we loved it so much where, when that, where does it finish this camino so it finishes in a, a town called trancoso um and then this is uh this connects with the camino torres from salamanca okay. and so there, there are a couple of different ways or a couple of different choices you have for how to get to Santiago from the end. But basically what we decided was to then uh, go northwest on the Torres. So we didn't, we basically walked about half of the Torres. Um, and then that goes to Braga. And then from Braga, you can walk the Gaeta Edusajeros, which is then what we did mm -hmm. to get to Santiago. Or you can continue from Braga to Ponte de Lima and walk the, the Portuguese, but we just done that the year before. So we decided to do the Gaeta. And that was also a really great community. Also, because that, that one is also one of those that is really new. It's kind of like, you know, it's historical. It's not. It's one of the ones that is still there a lot of, you know, with like we have right now with many of these Caminos, no? but I guess it's one of the ones that is popping out right now as one of the, you know, strong probably options for people that is looking for a different Camino, less crowded Camino. Mm -hmm. So how was it there, the area? Yeah, it's definitely uh, less crowded. Uh, we met two pilgrims. So we actually haven't met any on the entire Nascent and the Torres. Nothing at all. So it took us 49 days, I want to say, before we met another pilgrim. Not uh, even a hiker or just anyone, not, nobody? Nobody. I mean, obviously, wow. we talked with lots of locals, which, again, was a, a great experience, um, but we didn't meet any pilgrims or any hikers. Um, and so then on the Gator, we, we finally met two. Um, but, yeah, it's actually a really great Camino for a few different reasons. So it, it starts in Portugal and it goes through this national park in Portugal and it's the only national park we actually have in Portugal and it's incredibly beautiful so there's one day where you you feel you, you feel like you're just on this great day hike you know it, it's, it's a thing that we say about the Camino if you the Camino I don't think is a hike I think it's something different mm -hmm. and something more than that and if you took most days most individual stages of the Camino you wouldn't say to somebody oh you could do you could do this one day as a day hike you know it's part no, of a, a, a larger yeah. journey and it might not necessarily be beautiful but it might be interesting in other ways but this day the third day of the Gaeta was just amazingly beautiful we loved it and it was summer and we could swim in these little pools and you know these little rock pools and, and it was it was incredible so we really liked that that the actual name or the, the Gaeta part of the name is a Roman road which once went from Braga to Astorga. And you can walk on, on some of the stretches of this road and there are these milestones which are still there. And it's quite interesting that, you know, when a new Roman emperor would come into power, they would often just add another milestone next to one that was there on, on these roads just so they could uh, inscribe their own name and whatever. So you can see these remains of these sometimes five or six milestones right next to each other. 
And there's no point, once you have one, you don't need a second or a third or a fourth, but these new emperors said, no, I want another milestone in the middle of nowhere between Braga and Astorga. Um, so yeah, it's this historical route. And so we really like the Portuguese part. We got a lot of rain in the Galician part, which is, you know, part of the course in Galicia sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, but the second part is the Arrieros, which is this, uh, the idea of, of wine carriers or, or merchants transporting wine because this, mm-hmm. is, a, um, this is a, a well-known wine region in, in Spain or in Galicia. Uh, and so there's this path to, to Santiago to, to transport wine. Um, and the other thing about the Gator that, that we loved is it's very much a bottom-up uh, project. And so there's a handful of people who have been really instrumental in signing this and in creating mm-hmm. a guidebook and a website. And we met all of these people. Uh, and they're incredibly helpful. They're really super passionate about, about the route and they gave us a lot of help. And so we had this welcome from them that we've never experienced on, on a different, on another Camino. And that, that was incredible. There's a, a village called Codaceda, which is kind of the, the hub, I guess, of the Gator, because a couple of these people live there or live near there. And they've got a bar, which is called the, the Gator dos Ajeros bar. And the, the welcome that they gave us was amazing. And it, it turned out that we were, number, I think, 299 and 300 for that year to pass through. So they said, oh, we're going to have a little celebration, you know, for you. And they gave us, you know, gifts. So it was just amazing. And so we, we loved that aspect of it too. It's the most beautiful part of the Camino, the people and these little things. And, and also, as you were saying, you know, this Camino, that they're local projects that, you know, the people put their heart and soul. And then even it's just so amazing that there's still that buy for the Camino that others oh, is already, you know, yes, government or whatever. but. Yeah, it's really interesting for us to, to walk several different communities and, and to see the difference between the bottom up and, and the top down. The top down has the funding. Uh, they're able to have really professional uh, way marking signs. Mm-hmm. You know, in the game, the way marking is not that good. They have these little stickers sometimes, you know, sometimes not. If it's raining, you know, you kind of need the tracks. If it's raining, you've got to kind of, you know, take out your phone in the rain and try to figure out which way you're going. But you know, they just don't have the funding to be able to waymark it really, really well. It's, it's not bad, but it's not great. Um, but they've prioritized other things and you have the tracks and you have the guidebook uh, and the website. And so with that, you, you can get by. Um, and yeah, the, the welcome we received was really something else. So that's 2021. What was, uh, have you walked 2022 or still on the, on the waiting? No, we, we have. Um, again, we, we was, left with a, a bit of a time limitation. We, had, we went through about four or five different plans for this year. And in the end, we, our time kept getting cut and cut because there were work projects that we, that we had to do. Um, and then the one that ended up making sense, and, we, and we've sort of, it's basically the third year in a row, we decided on a Portuguese route because it just seemed to make the most sense. So we walked the Portuguese interior, uh, which starts in Viseu. So it's kind of in the north central part of Portugal. So it's further east from the, the standard uh, mm-hmm. way from Porto, uh, further east even than the Gaeta. Um, and so then you can walk that to Verín in Galicia and then hook on with the Sanabres to, to Santiago. And so that's about 20 days uh, in total from Viseu. And so that was just the time that we had. And again, we thought we might as well take advantage of being in Portugal to walk more of these Portuguese routes because we really enjoyed mm-hmm. doing it. Um, and we don't know how long we'll be here. so. Yeah, we, we should we should take advantage of it. And the Portuguese interior is really nice. It's similar to the Madrid in that there aren't many pilgrims. We didn't meet any pilgrims mm-hmm. uh, yes. in the 10 days uh, until we arrived in Galicia. Yet there are quite a few albergues. And a lot of the villages in, in this area, the, uh, the schools, which are no longer being used, have been converted into albergues. So it's, again, it's a government project. Um, but that's created this network of albergues. You can stay in one basically every night. And so it, it's a great option for people who want, the, yeah, again, that combination of solitude, but yet a good accommodation network. Um, and so we found that that was, that was really a great part of it as well. So yeah, like the Madrid uh, in that way. But it's, you know, it's in a part of Portugal that, that people don't really know that well. Um, mm-hmm. You cross the Douro uh, River and that part is amazing. Um, because you, the Douro Valley with all of the vineyards is, is incredible. And the, the Torres and the Portuguese interior both cross the, the Douro at the same spot. So we were there last year on the Torres and again this year on the, on the Portuguese interior. 
And the funny thing was we crossed the river, the Dora River, and it was early in the morning and, and we stopped at a bench to have some breakfast. And, you know, this is at a, a place called Peso de Hegro, and it's quite a popular place for, for tourists and there's some uh, tourist buses will stop there and, and people will get out and they see the river and they can see the vineyards and, and whatever. And so we were stopping there and within 10 minutes, three different people came up to us. They saw our shells and they said, oh, you're doing the Camino. And we said, yeah, we're doing the Camino. And they were just tourists. And all three of them knew about the Camino and had done it before, but they were all confused as to why we were where we were. And they basically, all three of them separately asked basically the same question, which is like, where, where, where are you walking or why, why are you here? You're like, lost, you're not this near doesn't Porto, make any sense. For example, and we said, no, we're not near Porto because we're doing this different route. And it was quite interesting that, you know, some of them had even walked the Portuguese central or the Portuguese coastal, but they had no idea that there was another route uh, in Portugal. And, you know, they're, depending on how you count them, there are really about 10 routes in Portugal, but everybody is, is focused on the main I think that's only just three. way. I think that's the only one. Uh, and people, and these people were like, how are you going to get back to Porto from here? And I said, no, no, we're, we're on a different route. We're not going. We're going the other way. We're going the other way. Um, but and then after the Douro, you then get to this uh, area called Trasus Monts, which is kind of behind the mountains or beyond the mountains, and that's a really interesting and 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 rural part of Portugal. It's close to Galicia, and and you know as we know, you you have a lot of similarities between northern Portugal and Galicia, and especially mm -hmm. in this area because the you know there are kind of these mountains to the south, so they were kind of cut off traditionally from a lot of the other parts of Portugal and maybe then cool. developed a closer relationship with, with Galicia at that time. So just linguistically and, and, and things like that, it's interesting to, to see the similarities there. Um, and so we really enjoyed it. It's only a 10 day Camino basically from Viseu to, to Verin. You just cross into Galicia just on, the, on that last day. Um, mm -hmm. And, but there's a, there's a lot to recommend it. It's uh, got some interesting towns. Uh, Viseu where you start is, is known as a kind of the, poor man's Quimbra, which is not a very uh, nice way to put it. Him, it's, it's a historic town. Uh, it's not as good as Quimbra, but it, it's okay. Um, Chavez uh, at the end is, is a very interesting town with a Roman bridge and Roman baths and, and, and these kind of things. Um, and so it's quite rural on the one hand, but then you have some cities with some good facilities and, and some attractions mm. as well on the other hand. That's amazing. So we have to, with all of these Caminos that you have walked, which one would you think will be the one you recommend as a first Camino? I mean, I think, I, I mean, the, as you mentioned earlier, I think traditionally people always say the Frances should be the first one. And yeah, I, th I think there's still, there's still merit in that. But I mean, look, if you walk to the Portuguese central from Porto, then you've you got, the those, same so right you've got the albergues, you've got the people. So you could easily choose that. Uh, if you're really interested in nature, you could choose the Primitivo as a, as a first as well. Mm -hmm. but yeah, I definitely think one of the more, more traveled Caminos is is probably a better idea for the first one, unless you're really, really want the solitude or you're an experienced hiker apart hiker. from Caminos. You know, I did later after we finished the the Portuguese interior and the Santa Bres, uh, my wife had to go and do some work and a friend came to, to meet me and we walked to Salvador. And he'd never walked the Camino before, but he'd done a lot of hiking. And I thought the Salvador would be cool for him. It's perfect for hikers, as, yeah. As the first one, because it was similar to what he'd done before. And, you know, I took care of the you know, the knowing about the stages and where we were going to stay and that kind of stuff. And he just mm -hmm. had to basically walk in the, in the mountains. Cool. And so he really liked that. So that worked for him. And it was funny that, you know, in conversations with me and with other pilgrims, you know, people would talk about the Frances. And at a certain point after a few days, he said, I think I would hate the Frances. And then we said, well, no, you know, it's, it, it's, it's great. But I mean, he liked the solitude and the mountains and, and all of that. Yeah. And when we would mention the road walking or the, the people, he said, no, I don't think that one's for me. Um, so it depends on the person. But I mean, look, the Frances, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can go wrong with that as a, as a first community. I think the Frances as a whole experience, as you were saying, if you're looking for a first time, you know, with the people, the locals, the everything yep. is the one that is much easier to also is the one with the biggest infrastructure if you want to walk less or more but i think it's the easiest one but as you say you know the primitivo is also great as the first one even the you know the portuguese see the one of them is great and even the north if you want to just get a by depending on which time of the year will be great but mm -hmm. then if you're looking for that camino that's the most special for you the one that you would say for all the people that is looking for that camino which one was for you the one that is the most special 
I mean, I, I love this communion ascent in the in the southeast of Portugal. I mean, it's it's hard to I don't know if I recommend it to other people because it's very remote. It, it's very adventurous. It requires uh, sometimes there's gaps in the accommodation. You have to call the local parish council and they have some solutions. They say, oh, there's a yeah. guy who has a room and you can stay with him. So you have to kind of arrange this in advance. It really, really helps if you speak Portuguese. I think it massively helps if you speak Portuguese, actually. Um, <laughs> So we, we'd done this and then somebody had followed us on social and, and decided they wanted to do it, the same thing. And then I think they ended up abandoning it after not too long. And I think they didn't really like it, but it just depended on the, on the person or what you wanted at that what time. What are you looking for now? I mean, I think, I think the Madrid and the Portuguese interior are really great for having that albergue infrastructure yet with mm -hmm. the low numbers of pilgrims. So if you're looking to still have a, a Camino that's, that's economical, um, and in solitude, then those are great choices. Because the other thing on the communion ascent was that there isn't really much pilgrim accommodation, and so you, you're staying in kind of Good. hotels, and Hotel it can be kind of expensive because it's a, it's yeah. a long camino. Um, and I mean, if you want, I mean, Salvador for mountains is 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 really really nice. But um, I mean, there are just so many choices, and and it, it struck us while we were on the Portuguese interior because this was in May. And around the same time, we were seeing reports on, on the web about the Frances and how it was just packed completely and people were sleeping mm -hmm. on the streets. And, and we were here in these albergues all by ourselves, you know, in this, this albergue with no other people. And we just thought, there's got to be a better way to distribute the people because there are all these Camino routes, you know, and, and some of them have almost no people, but they're, they're great and they're, they're worth people's time. And, you know, I, I don't know. If it's just, I don't know how to do it, how to get more people away from the more popular routes so that they become more pleasant and, and get them into the less popular routes so that, that then you get benefits for the local people and the local communities in, in those areas. But I think, you know, that's that the whole thing. And, you know, and now during these years, probably you've seen it like me, you know, Facebook, all these fights about the, oh, too many Caminos, they're not real, they're fake. I'm like, Really, who cares? We all know, and, and this this will be a specific rule of what is a real Camino, historical one. But if you know nobody's claiming there's some Caminos, as you say, that they're not claiming to be all Caminos or historical Caminos. They're just there as a path. You know, one of the things we have in Spain and in Europe is like we have amazing trails, and some others that even not you know on the Camino network that they're beautiful. I'm like Portugal, you have a beautiful trails. Same in Galicia, you know, the Camino dos Faros or some other Caminos mm -hmm. that are growing in Spain and. I think that's giving back to the rural. It's empowering the people, creating jobs, and also giving back to Spain. So, as you say, we empower people to that know the communities need to finish in Santiago because I think that's you know the first time that you're a pilgrim, you need to end in Santiago, and I get it. But as you get with more communities, for me right now, finishes in Santiago is like it's great, but. Probably I'm looking for Caminos that don't end in Santiago. And as you get, you know, and, and we promote it, I think people will start looking for this. But the first experience, you need that arrival in Santiago. Then as you grow as a pilgrim, as a person, you start looking for Caminos like the ones that, you know, more by yourself. Maybe every once in a while have more people. But I think it will take time. But with all this work that is amazing, you know, nonprofits and associations and, and city halls are doing and promoting their Caminos, we'll see. You know, I think also with the COVID, we lift weird years and we'll see also the promoting of the two years Sacobeo has also been kind of like a nightmare so we'll see what happened next year I'm, I'm quite surprised you know next year is the kind of like Sacobeo for the Camino Ignaciano is also a special year for the Camino de la Cruz de Caravaca those two Caminos that they're not really popular they're mm -hmm. growing but we'll see what happened and probably I don't know well it's going to be quite interesting yeah I mean I couldn't agree more on this on this idea of um yeah, Caminos that might be created recently. And, and I'm not in the camp of thinking that these are, shouldn't be done or that these are fake Caminos or, or things like that. Mm -hmm. And in Portugal, there's been a little bit of, of that you know, with these, these, these Southern Caminos that have been recently created by, by the governments. And some people in pilgrim associations have said, you know, this is just a, a cash grab by the government. And, and I'm thinking, look, they've had 40 people do this Camino in, in three years. So it's not, you know, maybe one day it will generate some some money, much needed money into these small communities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they've done a really good job, I think, in connecting these paths with the Order of Santiago and, and showing the historical nature of it. And I think, yeah, more paths are great. And if, if you happen to only want to walk a, a truly historical Camino that somebody wrote about in a diary in, in 1200, okay, then do that. Um, but 
yeah, the more paths, the, the better, I think. So tell us a little bit, because, you know, we were talking about this Caminos, but you have the, the spirit of the Camino, the website, you know, social media that you created. When was the spirit of the Camino born um, and why did you decide to create this community? Uh, I decided to do it in 2020 when we were in basically in the pandemic lockdown. You know, when the lockdown first started, I was like everybody, I was kind of bored. Um, and, you know, people found different things that they wanted to do. They wanted to make sourdough bread or learn new skills or, or do, do these kinds of things. And, you know, I've, I, I'm a journalist by trade, so I was sort of starting to do some writing. Or, so, or I was just re-going back through some of my old travel writing and trying to do some things with it. And then we walked this the Portuguese Camino, and then I, I had this idea that I really wanted to focus my writing and, and photography and, and energy onto the Camino. And so when we came back from that, I started this web platform and we started our podcast. Um, and it's been great because it's just a way to connect with more people and to yeah, be focused on, on, on writing things about the Camino, basically. It's amazing. You know, that's one of the things that I think the pandemic has, you know, positive you know i've been meeting so many people and you know one of the things that i will probably never meet you or some other ones that you know but thanks to the pandemic the camino online community has grown incredibly it was just crazy how everybody was you know doing all these projects podcasts youtube meetings online facebook community and i think it's it's incredible like the more people are like you know the more we talk about the camino the different points of view the more we will encourage and the more we will you know help all these little caminos and little people that is really there for you know and they're making a living and and also let's give back to the Camino in a way that is, you know, I'm not making a profit, it's beautiful and out of love because, you know, that's the problem when you, and you and I know it, once you walk the Camino, you're hooked. It's horrible. <laughs> well, luckily there are so many that we, we will never run out, but yeah, yeah, we're hooked for sure. But, but that, that's a great thing and a bad thing, but then you also start thinking about Caminos from other countries, Caminos from other places, and then, you know, like you, I don't know, you, I have a list of the Caminos that I want to do, the Kumano Koro Japan, Chikoku Trail, and like there's so many others, it's just horrible, because then you met a pilgrim and he's like, oh, I walked this one, it's amazing, okay, to the list. Yeah, I mean, what you realize, though, is that it's actually a great way to discover a, a place in addition to what you get from your pilgrimage, you know, to walk from place to place, you go through villages and areas that you never would visit or that if you're just visiting as a tourist, you wouldn't visit these places and you meet people that you would never meet. Um, I've done a couple of days on the Kumanokoro in, in Japan and it's really fun. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think beyond the, the pilgrimage aspect of it, it it's it's I don't want to say it's, it's a type of tourism, but it, it, it can be a, a, a way to discover a new place. And I mean, here, walking so many in Portugal and Spain, you know, these are countries that we think we know pretty well, but you always find new things. You discover little differences mm -hmm. between the regions and, and you get a deeper understanding of the place that you're in. I think that's absolutely true. And so that's also true for uh, pilgrimage. If you want to do it in Japan or in, in other countries, you, you get that same, uh, that same reward. I think it's the, the slow traveling, you know, when you met, you know, as you were saying, you know, some people say that there's a tourism, but I think it's much more than that, you know, when you travel and when you hike and when you go into a pilgrimage, it's more than a hike, it's more than travel because it has a, a different aspect with it, you know, once you do it, you know, why people go to the Camino instead of the year 11 or to the PCT or all these hikes that they're amazing, but people keep going to the Camino, why? I, I totally, you know, believe that there's something different and even people still say, you know, I go to the Camino just for tourism or for sport. I'm like, by the time you finish, you will probably realize that it's something more. What? You are the only one that can say, but I think it's, you know, something that people get and it is there. Yeah, I agree. agree 100%. So what are you planning for next year? Uh, well, firstly, before next year, um, oh. I'm going to Italy uh, this week, later this week, actually. I'm going some... to Italy on Tuesday. Wow, I'm going on Saturday. There you go. I'm going to Rome. <laughs> which Camino are you walking? Well, first I've got some work that I'm doing there, which is sort of the main reason that I'm going. Uh, okay. And then after that, I'm walking the Via di Francesco, uh, which is the way of St. Francis of Assisi. And I think you're also doing this, uh, which we were talking <laughs> about this off is, air. That's a small wall. And it is a small world, and I found out just a couple of days ago that a, a sort of Camino friend of mine, who I've, who we actually had as a guest on our podcast once, is also walking this. The He's same, walking right now. I, yeah, I know. I saw that. As, I saw that me. on Facebook that he is doing a tour over there. 
So suddenly, um, it's quite interesting because everybody knows about the Via Francigena in Italy, mm -hmm. but suddenly the, the Via Francesco is, maybe some people are, are finding out about this. Um, yeah. And so for me, it was, it was a, a great choice because I have the time, my wife has some work that she has to do, so I'm going by myself. Um, but, you know, the Via Francigena, we, we haven't walked, but we'd like to walk it or part of it, you know, some other time. So I thought I, I looked for a different a pilgrimage that I can do in Italy. And again, it's a country that I know well, I speak the language reasonably well, um, but I've never walked there. And so it's going to be a whole different experience uh, of discovering the country and discovering different regions of the country. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Same for me. So which way are you going to be doing the Via de Francesco? Uh, from north to south. From the so south from Laverna to, to Assisi and then from Assisi to Rome. So I'm doing from Rome to Assisi. Okay, so yeah, I mean, you have the northern route and then the southern route, and then they both, uh, CC is kind of in the middle. Uh, fortunately, I have the time to do both of them, and I think if you're doing both of them, you sort of almost have to go north to south, because then you get to finish in Rome. It gets, yeah. yeah. But whereas if you're doing that southern part, you could, do, you could go either north to south or south to north. Yeah, for me, I have a meeting in, in Assisi, so the holiday is to arrive from Rome to Assisi walking, so it was the perfect timing, as you were saying, you know, the Via Francigena. and I would like to spend more days and do it. So the, I was thinking also in doing the Via Lauretana that goes from Assisi to Loreto, but also that one was a little shorter, so um, the whole concept of going from Rome to Assisi, I think, is great. And I think, you know, in Italy, it happens the same as in Spain. Everybody thinks that, oh, it's only the Via Francigena. I'm like, no. Yeah, San Francesco walks so many Caminos over there. There's a huge network that is super well developed. At least they are developing now probably a lot of places as you realize, you know, you have to go to bed and breakfast. There's no albergues, but the price is quite affordable. You don't have to go to expensive hotels. And, and I think it's one of those Caminos that is going to keep growing as the Camino. A lot of people, you know, they try to go away from the Camino Santiago to avoid people, but beautiful option for people looking and discover Italy. And I think we lost Nick. Let's see if Nick will come back. Okay, you're back. Yes, sorry. <laughs> so anyway, Nick, thank you so much for all you do for your Camino. Thank you for sharing all of the Caminos with everybody. I think, you know, this is the best we can do. And, and now it's just each one's choice, you know, which Camino to walk next. If you have any questions, you have Nick and Spirit of the Camino on Instagram, on spiritofthecamino.com. You can contact him also on Facebook and, you know, every social media. And that's what we are here for. If you need help, if you need questions, just go there. And, you know, the whole thing is just enjoy the Camino. It is indeed. Thank you very much for, for the chat. It was really interesting. And good luck on the, on the Via di Francesco. Buon Camino. Yeah, maybe we'll see each other over there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, if we're going in the opposite direction, we might meet. Buen Camino, Ultrella. Buen Camino. Thank you.